The book of 1 John is written to a context of some conflict, some struggles that the church had faced. A number of people had left the church, and the, those who remained were left questioning what it truly means to be a real follower of Jesus Christ. So the book of 1 John contains a number of tests of our faith. The first we looked at last week was the test of being willing to admit that you are indeed a sinner in need of salvation. Anyone who says, I am not a sinner, is not a Christian because they don't understand the very first step, which is to acknowledge our sin and receive the gift of salvation. In this section, in uh, chapter 2 of 1 John, we find a few other tests. Uh, we're going to be looking at the test of obedience, the test of love, and the test of growth today. Now, have you ever wondered if your salvation is genuine, if your faith is real, if you are actually saved from your sin, from the power of death, if you're assured of eternal life. Many people who don't need to often question this, and many people who really should question do not. But today we're going to look at some questions. You know, as a pastor, I want you to feel assured of your salvation in Jesus Christ. It gives us great peace and great confidence to know that we are saved. But if, if we have not received this message the way God calls us to receive it, and if we are indeed in danger because we are not in proper relationship with God. It would be awful for me to stand in judgment with you and find that I had assured you of a salvation that wasn't there. So today, as we look at these tests, I want you to consider them, consider your walk of faith and how well you pass or maybe fail these tests of genuine faith. The first test, the test of obedience. Uh, John starts this section with these words. We have come to, we know that we have come to know. We know that we have come to know him. In other words, we can be assured that we actually have a relationship with God if. And what's the if? If we keep his commands. The test of obedience. If you truly know God, you would obey God. Verses 4 and 5 say, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And we have a lot of people today who want to receive the blessings of salvation, but don't really follow through with any sense of obedience, with any sense of owing God anything, and really any sense of devotion to the God that they say they love. If you understand who God is as the one who created you, as the one who loves you, as the one in Christ who has sacrificed for you, you will want to do what God calls you to do. And if you do not want to do that, question whether your relationship with God is true and real. Naturally, we would want to please the one 
that we truly love, especially if we believe that that one is utterly trustworthy, that that one knows us better than we know ourselves, that that one loves us even more than we love ourselves. Too often, though, people say, I love God, the same way they might say, I love ice cream. Give me more ice cream. I love ice cream. Give me more ice cream. Ice cream does something for me, and I like it. But that is not what the way we're supposed to say we love God. Because our love for God is relational. We enter into a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. And in that relationship, we don't just receive, receive, receive. We are to receive and give, receive and give. John goes on to say something a little bit confusing here in verses 7 and 8 when he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Well, old, new, what is it? I believe that what John is saying is that it's the same truth, the same truth of obeying God, acknowledging God as uh, creator, acknowledging God as father, acknowledging God as good, but a new power because, be, because of what Christ has done, the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us to live in obedience, empowers us to live in dynamic relationship with God. Obedience today is passé. Many people, I mean a lot of people, seem to believe that receiving Jesus is just a stamp on your passport into heaven and that there's nothing left that you need to do. But as we read in James, faith without works is dead. In, in other words, it doesn't even exist. Hear this from James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Faith by itself, it is, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see that a person considered righteous, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Our faith, saving faith, is not just intellectual assent to some truths. It, is, it results in a changed life based in relationship with God and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this saving faith is evidenced, true saving faith is evidenced by obedience, by seeking the will of God and doing the will of God. Failure to obey is failure to trust the goodness of God. And as we see in verse 5, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly 
made complete in them. And the word for in the Greek in that uh, right there, it, it could be love of or love for. The love of God is made evident, made complete in them, or their love for God is made evident in them. And I think that John chose that word very deliberately to say God's love for you should work in you so that you develop love for God. And once again, we see the dynamic of a relationship with God and God's love for us overflows then into obedience to God and into love for others. And that is our next test. First, we looked at the test of obedience. Now we're going to look at the test of love. When we consider commandments, when John mentions new command, old command, when we consider commandments, we think of the first commandment, the primary commandment. And that is from the uh, Old Testament, Shema, which Jews um, recited and many still do recite today every single day to remind them of the truth of who God is. And here it is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, this, these commands, this truth of God should be on our minds all the time. It should be so important to us that it is only natural for us to share this truth with our children, and it would be very unnatural for us to take this truth lightly and not realize that it is the primary truth of our existence. And to not share it with our children and with others is a, makes no sense and makes one wonder, is there actually a faith there at all? Because we believe that there is one God and we believe that that God is good and we believe that we are called to love God with everything that we are. And if we are going to love God with everything that we are, we need to know what God expects of us and then to do it. Jesus takes the Shema and expands it. Here from Mark 12, 28 to 30, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus was asked and Jesus answered, the most important of all is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So if you walk in the light, as it says here in verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates 
A brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Is there hatred in your heart for anyone? This is not easy because this this love starts with forgiveness and forgiveness is difficult. When people wrong us, it's hard to overcome that. But the spirit of, the, of forgiveness is the starting place. Jesus tells this uh, story in Matthew 18. Therefore, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold and was brought before him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went to, and went to their master and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The words of Jesus Christ. And the way to understand this, of course, is to realize that we are the servant who has been forgiven a debt we could never pay. And we have been forgiven by a God of grace. But that God of grace wants us to extend grace to others. And we might say, well, what they did to me is bigger than anything I would ever do to them. I have the right to hold this against them because what they did is so ugly. And the key to understanding what Jesus is saying here is to, is to realize that this is not about comparing your debts to other people's debts. This is about comparing the debt of sin that you owe to God, the debt you owe to God because of your sin, to any debt that anyone might owe you. And if you realize the magnitude of that debt and what Jesus Christ paid to pay that debt, all other debts, no matter how huge they seem to us, pale in comparison. And we therefore should not allow ourselves to hold grudges, to hold on to anger, to hold on to hatred. It does not fit with one who has been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. If you walk in the light of God's love, you will have God's perspective. You will not look primarily through, at others through any worldly lens. Lenses like class or race or nationality or politics or particular, 
particular struggles that someone might have that you don't have. Remember, God loves the strugglers. Now, God doesn't love every way that someone lives out their struggles. God doesn't um, say everything we do is okay, but God does say that everyone is loved, and love is the key to open their hearts. And so we are called to love others, even those, maybe especially those, with whom we disagree or with whom we feel no natural connection because we are connected in our mutual humanity and that humanity is characterized by sin. And sin manifests itself differently in different people. And because sin manifests itself differently in me than in you, that does not mean that you can judge me or I can judge you or hate you or figure that you're not worthy of God's salvation. But it means that I see you, I choose to see you through the lens of the love of God, through the eyes of our Heavenly Father, and have, therefore, compassion on you. If you walk in the light of God's love, you will sense God's presence. You will sense God's presence in your interactions with others. And if you walk in the light of God's love, you will know God's pleasure, pleasure in your faithfulness in reflecting his love to others. If you hold on to the darkness of hatred or disdain or judgment, you either don't know God at all or you're pushing God away. Either way, it's time to change. Now, how do we change? It's one thing to know that this, this root of bitterness or this, this hatred or whatever it is in me uh, is wrong and I shouldn't do it. And it's, it's uh, helpful to know that I have been forgiven much, but it is sometimes very difficult to let go of that. And I would give you some counsel about that. First is pray. Pray. Ask God to remind you of his grace toward you. Ask God to help you to feel his love for that person. Ask God to change your heart, to give you compassion, and push deeper into the truth of your sinfulness and the magnificence of God's gracious forgiveness. We've looked at the test of obedience, we've looked at the test of love, and now we look at the test of growth. This section here in verses 12 through 14, uh, there are three audiences, there are children, there are fathers, and there are young men. And I don't believe John was intending to be sexist here. Uh, we can look at children and um, parents and young people and, and look at it as a, a growth process. Children are not expected to be mature. Fathers, mothers are expected to be mature. There is an assumption here that they are indeed matured in Christ. And then the young who are in the maturation process, what he says to children is, your sins are forgiven. And then he speaks to children again and says, you know the father, like a child knows their, their father or mother. 
Then he goes on to speak to Father, and he says to them, you know him who is from the beginning. And then he speaks to fathers again and says exactly the same thing. You know him who is from the beginning. And I think the reason John may have done that is to point out that there is a place in life, um, not sinless perfection, but a, a level of maturity in which we truly know God as God is. And that is the goal of life is to know God better and to be in that settled state where things don't change. He says exactly the same thing both times. Things don't change because we are so stable in our walk with God. But for the rest, there is a maturation process. For the young, in the first time he says anything, he says, you have overcome the evil one. And that is important. We don't realize how important that is, that to, to acknowledge that there is an enemy to our souls trying to pull us away from God and uses all kinds of tactics, probably different tactics in different cultures, depending on what the culture is believing at the time. And that enemy in Christ has been defeated. But you can, he can be defeated overall, but still be winning battles in your heart, in your life, if you don't acknowledge that defeat. So the second time he speaks to the young, he says, you are strong, the word dwells in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Remember that, you're, that you have victory over sin and evil in Jesus Christ. Dig into the word, the word dwells in you, let it dwell in you more, and Trust in the strength of God working in you. The tempter will tempt and accuse and will tempt you, you fail, and then accuse you, um, making you feel terrible for what you have done. And then, because you feel terrible, tempt you to do something else or the same thing again, and then accuse you, and it's a vicious cycle of failure, of sin, of sadness and despair. But God wants you to trust and obey, to trust him and to trust his truth and his goodness and to choose righteousness and to continue to obey him. And then that is also a cycle, a cycle of maturity that helps you grow closer to God. And temptation is not just about sin, about the sins we normally naturally think of. Temptation is also about despair. It is about lack of trust and faith in God. It is about failure to love God and failure to follow God. So, do you know that you know? Do you know that you know him? How can you know that you know him? Well, one, are you obeying him? Secondly, is love for him and for the world growing in your heart? And thirdly, are you growing? Are you changing? Is God at work within you to bring you more and more in line with who he is? Friends, let us be assured of the completed work of Jesus Christ and live in such faith that we know that we know him.
Now, some of you might say, wait, there was another section, uh, the section do not love the world or anything in the world, and I wanted to hear you talk about that. Didn't John, the, this very same John say in John 3.16, God so loved the world? Yes, he did. And then we're told here not to love the world. What do we make of that? I'll see you next week.